All right, we are back. Uh, welcome back, everybody. If you listened to the previous two episodes, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, we cut through a lot of the bullshit surrounding uh, the Israeli Hezbollah, the propaganda used to justify genocide against the Palestinians. I uh, hope you learned something. I, I hope you disagreed. I hope you agreed. Awesome. Uh, so today, what we're going to do is we're going to actually go through this uh, video that I found. Uh, somebody sent it to me. And uh, it's like an explainer video, almost. Uh, it was put out by the IDF. It's on uh, it's on YouTube if you want to go watch it yourself. But we're just going to we're gonna go through the video. Uh, we're going to listen to it. And I'm going to kind of interject at points. And we're just going to, like talk about all the bullshit that's in there. We're going to try and like unseat a lot of the propaganda uh, that's put out there because the conception of Gaza that is presented by the IDF is very one-sided. Uh, it's very, it's got like this mentality of uh, the barbarians at the gates. Um, yeah, it's simply not true. So we're going to go through uh, this IDF video. We're going to talk about uh, where they're being disingenuous, where they're uh, negating facts, where they're kind of denying history, uh, and where they're really denying the reality of the contemporary situation that's happening between Gaza and uh, Israel proper. Shalom, Lieutenant Colonel Scheffler here. I'm standing in Kibbutz Erez, southern Israel, just half a mile away from the Gaza Strip. The 600 people in this community are under constant threat of Hamas terror attacks. We, the Israel Defense Forces, are here to protect them along with the 65,000 civilians who live in the area and have only 15 seconds to run to a shelter when our sirens go off to alert them of an incoming Hamas rocket attack. All right, you, you heard it yourself, man. Uh, they're in constant danger there in Kibbutz Aris, where I, I do want to talk about that particular kibbutz, though. That one has been there, it's been at least in that location since the year 1950. Uh, before 1950, that space was contested. Gaza was the definition of contested. Until uh, 1967, Gaza was administered uh, by Egypt. The broader question that I want to ask about uh, this kibbutz being there in the first place is... Why would you put your civilian population so close to a hostile nation, uh, so close to land that is controlled by a nation that you have always, that you've ve for a very long time said is hostile towards you and said has wanted to eradicate you? Like that doesn't that doesn't make any sense. Or why would you even put your civilian population inside of a hostile territory, which the Israeli army has done? I mean, they talk about. Hamas using human shields, but is that not a human shield on like a geographical standpoint, putting a civilian settlement, a civilian village right in front of uh, of a territory that you yourself claim is full of terrorists? Uh, you claim Israel claimed this before it was built. They claimed this in 1949. We wish the situation was different and we continue to hope for peace. No, you don't. No, you don't. That's bullshit. This is the exact function of the propaganda machine. This is the exact function of settlements. Uh, this is exactly why 
Israel's populace is so intermingled with their military apparatus. Uh, In Israel, they have mandatory conscription at the age of 18. Uh, Every Israeli citizen is required to serve in the IDF. And it is exactly that reason that they can say, oh, they're attacking civilians. Uh, They can say, look at how barbaric these Palestinians are. They will intermingle their military apparatus with civilian uh, structures in sort of this weird way of defending their military operations as well as their entire complex web of supposed security uh, toward the Palestinian people. It's it's completely by design. You don't want peace um, because peace is not is not it doesn't work for you because peace doesn't control doesn't come with peace. Uh, you want the Palestinians to be militant because then that gives you further justification uh, to bomb them, to uh, impose apartheid on them. It's it's bullshit. You don't want peace. This is exactly how fascist, uh, tyrannical governments stay in control, is building up this propaganda of barbarians at the gates, that there is a common enemy. That is one of the signifying uh, characteristics of fascism, is the the conception that there is an enemy that poses an existential threat to your people. Like, you don't want peace. If there was peace, then there would be a legitimate argument. There would be a road toward uh, Palestinian statehood. There would be a road toward granting Palestinians equal rights within Israel. And that doesn't fit within the conception of a ethnostate that you have built around Israel. How did we get here? The UN Partition Plan of 1947 proposed dividing the land into a Jewish and Arab state. We said yes. The Arabs said no and launched a war. Gaza fell under Egyptian rule. In 1967, five Arab armies attacked Israel and we successfully defended ourselves. Gaza came under Israeli control. Ooh, there's a a little piece of history you left out, my friend. My, my guy, you forgot to talk about uh, the Nakba. And I, I say forget with a grain of salt. He didn't forget. Um, yeah, but 1948 Nakba, uh, word in Arabic for catastrophe. Uh, this is wherein the Zionist militias ethnically cleansed the land of Palestine in order to found the state of Israel. Uh, this resulted in a huge flux of refugees into the neighboring Arab states. Uh, those refugees and their descendants, they still live in in what is known as the Palestinian diaspora. And to this day, they have been denied their right to return uh, to their homes under international law. Uh, what I really like, what I really dislike, sorry, about this disingenuous framing here uh, is it because it presents it as if the state of Israel simply existed and the neighboring Arab states declared war out of uh, like this sheer hate for the Jewish people, which of course isn't true. Uh, This was in solidarity with the Palestinian people. They saw that they were being ethnically cleansed. Uh, They had a genocide committed against them. And for a lot of very valid reasons, they said, we're not okay with this. We're not okay with this foreign power uh, developing an ethnostate over top of the ruins of somebody else's state. Not to mention a foreign power that is, to this day and at that time, propped up by imperialist powers, whether that be the United Kingdom, uh, the United States, Canada, Australia, and so on. Um, I feel like anybody in the region would have a would have a very reasonable objection to the establishment of that state. 
But this idea that Israel simply existed and uh, the Arabs were bloodthirsty and wanted to destroy Israel because they didn't want Jews living next to them, is it's preposterous, it's ridiculous, it's pure Hasbara propaganda. During this time, there were hundreds of terror attacks emanating from the Gaza Strip. In 2005, Israel unilaterally and fully withdrew from the Gaza Strip. IDF troops oversaw the removal of over 9,000 Israeli civilians from Gaza. How'd they get there, man? For the love of God, don't ask them how they got there. Huh, I wonder how 9,000 uh, Israeli civilians got to Gaza. You didn't mention how they ended up inside Gaza, which was never uh, Israel proper. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you exactly how they ended up inside Gaza. Um, Israel built settlements in Gaza up until the year 2005. Uh, settlements uh, for Israelis inside of Palestinian land. Um, this is considered illegal under international law uh, for the particular reason that uh, occupied people have every right to defend themselves. You And then they, they will complain about civilians dying, but the, the onus is... 100% on the Israeli state for exporting its civilian population into an occupied territory, which is explicitly, it is an explicit violation of the Geneva Conventions, of the laws governing military occupation, uh, that wherein the occupying power shall not export its own civilian population into the occupied territory. And it is for that exact reason, because the people living under occupation have every single fucking right in the world to resist that occupation. And oftentimes, yes, that resistance is violent. So I'm going to ask, is it is it not the fault of the Israeli state for putting civilians into occupied territory where people are fighting for their liberation? And this that's exactly what they want to do, is they want to put their civilian population into the front lines of a military occupation and then throw their hands up and say, oh my God, I cannot believe why these people are killing civilians. You know that civilians are going to get caught in the crossfire because you, the state of Israel, is exporting them into occupied territory, into contested territory where there is an active fight for liberation going on. If I was breaking into somebody's house and in the process of me committing this home invasion, I invite my family over and I tell my kids to... Uh, to sit down on the on the rug and you know do their thing, um, like and then that person who's being home invaded fights back, and I then blame them when my family gets caught in the crossfire. This is the exact thing that is happening, or that at least happened in Gaza up until 2005 with the withdrawal of the Israeli civilians and settlements. It's just it's such a disingenuous argument to make. You the Israeli state tries to claim that it cares about its civilians, that it cares about the people, and that it doesn't want to see them killed in this conflict. But they, they really don't. What they care about is expansion. And I think Noam Chomsky said it very brilliantly, uh, that Israel has foregone its security in favor of expansion, in favor of displacing Arabs. To them, uh, Israeli civilians living in these kibbutzes, living in settlements, are merely a pawn uh, so that they can continue to displace the Arab population and so that they continue to build more uh, Israel over Palestine, over the Palestinians, over the rubble of their communities and over the 
bodies of Palestinian people. It's ridiculous. And that is what I was talking about with uh, the Israeli civilian operations being intentionally intermingled with the military security apparatus of Israel. They have intentionally blurred this line between civilian and military because they know that under international law, civilians are 100% rightly afforded certain protections uh, that military combatants are not. And they've kind of expertly hijacked this, this ambiguity between uh, militants and civilians, between military bases and settlements, between villages. Israelis hoped that this would lead to peace. Instead, we got rockets, thousands of rockets. Between 2005 and 2007, the Palestinian Authority ruled over Gaza. In 2007, Hamas brutally ejected the Palestinian Authority from the Gaza Strip, throwing PA officials off of buildings and forcefully taking control. Since its creation, Hamas has called for the destruction of the State of Israel. Uh, yeah, that much is true. I will cede that point. Uh, Hamas's rise to power within the Gaza Strip was certainly violent. But what he again omits and fails to mention is that Palestinians in Gaza did democratically elect Hamas to form their PA government. Uh, and, you know, there are a lot of reasons that you can debate as to why they elected Hamas. Um, but the most obvious reason is that the uh, PA government that preceded Hamas, the uh, Fatah government, uh, was ineffective. They voted them out because they were ineffective at safeguarding the life, the liberty of Palestinian people. This government was all will willing to cede uh, to the demands of the Israeli settler state. Uh, they were always willing to negotiate on terms that favored the Israelis. And, you know, it's very hard to blame an occupied people for voting for a party, for a group, for a leader who says, we're going to fight the people who are oppressing you. We are going to liberate you, opposed to a group that says we are going to sit down with them. You know, we're going to cede some things to them. Uh, but ultimately, the status quo will be continued. And that's really what the PA government under the Fatah party uh, represented to the Palestinian people, was the continuance of the status quo. And the status quo was Israel controlling everything that went in and out of Gaza. Uh, was Israel controlling the lives of everybody inside Gaza, inside what was a what would become a gigantic concentration camp. And I don't use that term lightly, but I use that term because... The way that the Israeli army has administered uh, the Gaza Strip is identical to the function of a concentration camp. Gaza has for a long time been called the world's largest open-air prison. But of course you're going to vote for a group that says, we're going to liberate you, that tells you that we're going to take the fight to the people who are killing you, to the people who will not allow you any kind of representation, any kind of freedom over your life. Like, that's not, that's not a crazy idea. And the Hamas charter declares, I quote, the day of judgment will not come about until Muslims fight Jews and kill them. And it is compulsory that the banner of jihad be raised, end quote. Hamas has fired over thousands of rockets into Israeli territory and launched numerous terrorist attacks, suicide bombings, arson balloons, and drone attacks. So this is really where that um, but Hamas narrative that we talked about last episode really picks up. 
you know, um, they like to go, oh, but Hamas, and then Hamas is kind of like that scapegoat that they will blame for everything that they use to justify the brutal military apparatus that is imposed upon the Palestinian people. Um, but the truth about Hamas is that uh, they are a splinter group from the Muslim Brotherhood, and they only really came about in the late 1980s. And Israel was terrorizing, brutalizing the Palestinians long before Hamas was a thing. Uh, so you, they like to point to Hamas as the reason for all the violence against the Palestinians. But Hamas is very much a byproduct of the, uh, of the Israeli occupation. It's a byproduct of the Israeli brutalization of the Palestinians. This is what uh, I usually say about Hamas to best characterize and most fairly characterize Hamas is that they they do they commit terrible acts that's absolutely true um, and it's unacceptable but Hamas is this is what I always say Hamas is an army of orphans I'll say that again Hamas is an army of orphans the majority of Hamas fighters are young and they have lost their parents they have lost friends they've lost family throughout their lives to the Israeli occupation to Israeli violence against civilians you know, people, these children are not born Hamas. That comes from a place of, of hurt. And these people, they have known nothing but chains their entire life. I think that would radicalize anybody. And I'm not really making excuses for the atrocities by Hamas, but I'm just, I'm trying to best contextualize the motivations behind Hamas and how Hamas has become so essentialized by the violence. And it's really a, like the Israeli military propaganda is trying to do this uh, very sloppily assembled uh, chicken before the egg, egg before the chicken kind of like argument. And they like to claim that Hamas is the reason for all of the violence that they have to, they supposedly have to impose upon the Palestinians. Um, but there's really no arguing that Hamas is a byproduct of the generations of brutalization against the Palestinian people. Not to mention that Hamas kind of directly plays into this uh, narrative, into the Israelis' uh, security apparatus against the Palestinians, because it gives them an enemy to fight. We talked about that earlier, is that these fascist governments, they need an enemy. Uh, without an enemy, they cannot maintain control. They cannot uh, maintain their grip on power. And that's... It's not even me saying that. It's not even speculation. That is 100% true. The Israeli government propped up Hamas. They fi they wired funds to Hamas through the Qatari government. Benjamin Netanyahu is directly responsible for that uh, because he saw Hamas as an impediment to the unification of the Palestinians. He saw Hamas as a very useful tool uh, to avoid Palestinian statehood, to avoid a legitimate claim for Palestinians to have a state and to have equal representation under the Israeli government uh, and even on the world stage. So I would say that the Israeli government far prefers uh, Hamas rule over Gaza than the PA or any kind of united uh, Palestinian authority. Absolutely. Absolutely. But they not only terrorize Israelis, they terrorize their own people. There's no freedom of speech. They execute members of the LGBTQ plus community and they deliberately use women and children as human shields. Oh yeah, uh, newsflash, uh, Islam fundamentalists or really any religious fundamentalists at all, Zionists included, 
are uh, slow to adopt social progression, are inherently bigoted. That's absolutely true. Uh, yes, but the point here is that uh, social change and social progression happens at a point of surplus. At, it happens in good times, essentially. Uh, it's very hard to implement social change, to implement uh, social acceptance, uh, liberalism into a society that is actively fighting for their very survival. You know, if you look at any kind of like hierarchy of human needs, if you look at what societies tend to be concerned with, it, the like social progression and social justice issues do not come before the very basic foundational survival of your people. And I don't think, I really don't believe that LGBTQ plus uh, rights are so progressive in Israel as a result of the Israeli people being so forward thinking and progressive. Um, I think that's simply not true. Uh, Israel does not allow same-sex marriage. It is illegal in Israel. Uh, that is that is the function of a theocracy. When you govern a state under religious law, absolutely. Um, of course, uh, LGBTQ plus people, they're not going to be allowed to get married. And I think Israel, but they do, what they do is they recognize gay marriages uh, that take place abroad. So if you were married, if you were a man married to a man, for example, in the United States, and then you moved to Israel, they would recognize that marriage. And I would say that they do that specifically to facilitate settler movement. Uh, they do that so that people will come over so that they can get more Israelis, more Jewish people to come over to Israel. It's extremely disingenuous. It's not that they actually care about uh, gay rights at all. They just care about facilitating the movement of more Jewish people to uh, Israel. It is not about their forward thinking on uh, gay rights. It is 100% a strategy uh, to tip the demographic scales in their favor, 100%. Instead of investing in schools and hospitals, they pour millions of dollars each year into building out their terrorist infrastructure. Hamas is internationally recognized as a terrorist organization uh, yeah, so was uh, Nelson Mandela, so was Desmond Tutu, so was the ANC, uh, so was the Irish Republican Army, uh, people who are called terrorists, um, Algerians fighting French colonization in Algeria, uh, the Haitian slaves that rebelled against their slave masters. And my point is not that Hamas should not be called a terrorist organization. My point is that you should be uh, weary and cautious of the terrorist framing as it exists in modern history and the contemporary world. Uh, the idea of who is a terrorist is directly linked uh, to how close you are to U.S. imperialism, to Western hegemony. And it's really anybody who kind of challenges the status quo that is called a terrorist. Um, you know, Malcolm X was called a terrorist. Martin Luther King was called a terrorist. And this is not saying that Hamas should not be called a terrorist organization at all. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that you need to consider... Uh, what these people are advocating for, and if that is why they're being called terrorists. And you need to also consider who is not being called a terrorist, like uh, the IDF, which is not internationally recognized, which is not recognized by the United States uh, as a terrorist organization, despite being on the same moral plane as Hamas, despite killing more civilians than Hamas, despite uh, using 
uh, Palestinian civilians as a human shield, uh, despite facilitating the uh, the Sabra Sheltia massacre in Lebanon. You there is just as much an argument to be made that the IDF is a terrorist organization, a larger and more effective terrorist organization than Hamas. So I would be weary of this terrorist framing. And again, Hamas is 100% a terrorist group. But again, look at who is not called a terrorist. Like, do me a favor. After this episode, uh, go online and Google Abu Ghraib. Google Abu Ghraib. And after reading about that, tell me, please try to make an argument that the U.S. military is not a group that has terrorists within it. Uh, None of those people who are responsible for Abu Ghraib are called terrorists. And again, that is... A your your designation as a terrorist is a direct result of whether or not you are friendly toward Western hegemony, toward U.S. imperialism, and is is directly a result of whether or not you are challenging the status quo. Despite Hamas's ongoing hostility towards Israel, we continue to assist with humanitarian aid to the Gaza Strip. Uh, yeah, that is your obligation under international law that you can't occupy somebody and then fucking starve them. That is the bare minimum of what you can do. This is scarcity that you created with this blockade against Gaza. You control everything that goes in and out. You control their economy. You won't let them have an airport or a seaport. You, they are under complete siege from land, from the land, from the air, and from the sky. You created this scarcity, and now you want to be commended for partially relieving this scarcity? The Israeli blockade on Hamas would not allow metal, would not allow uh, aluminum and other kind of metals into Gaza because they said that they had potential military applications. But really, what this metal was being used for was to can their food. Gaza farmers would can their food in order to preserve it. And when Israel stopped allowing metal into the Gaza Strip, they couldn't can their food anymore. And this resulted in famine in Gaza. You, I hate that they pretend as though they, are, they care so much about Gaza when all they are doing is partially, very partially, relieving a scarcity and a famine that they have imposed themselves upon Gaza. The UN has said that Gaza is in a state of perpetual humanitarian crisis, that the unemployment rate in Gaza is 50%. And that is a direct result of Israeli policy and the Israeli administration of Gaza. You don't get to create this problem and then expect to be applauded and lauded for relieving it in the bare minimum way that these people don't fucking starve, but they are just kept in a state of perpetual poverty. During the most recent escalation, in May 2021, Hamas terrorists fired mortar shells towards the Erez crossing and the Kerem Shalom crossing. These crossings are also used for bringing in humanitarian aid. Hamas often prevents humanitarian aid from entering Gaza and steals the money and resources meant for the people of Gaza to promote its terrorist agenda. Oh my God, that's terrible. I can't believe that happens in Gaza. It's not like there's anywhere else where desperately needed funds for things like food programs and healthcare are going toward violence. I wonder if there's a state out there that has an $877 billion a year military budget, but 12%, uh, 17 million households experiencing food insecurity. Hmm. wonder if that happens anywhere else. 
Today, Hamas continues to launch rockets, arson balloons, and drones towards Israeli civilians. These security fences are here to protect our civilians from any terrorist threats. They're here because they're needed. We will continue to take all necessary measures to protect Israeli civilians from Hamas terrorism. While the IDF works to protect our civilians, we also hope for a more peaceful future, one where all people can live in peace and security. Uh, yeah, we take uh, very essential measures to secure the safety of Israeli civilians. That's why we impose apartheid on the Palestinian people. You know, that's why we have uh, license plate systems where if you have a if you have a certain color license plate, you can drive on run one road because you're Israeli. If you have another color, you can only drive on certain roads because you're Palestinian. Uh, yeah, that's why we're a racially segregated country. Uh, that's why we can script uh, 18-year-old Israelis to serve in an army to maintain that apartheid state. Yep, that's why um, we need to maintain our security. Absolutely. And another thing I'd like to add is that this is tailored toward uh, imperial audiences being American, Canadian, uh, United Kingdom. And I'll tell you exactly why. It's in English. It's not in Arabic. Uh, if they were explaining to the Palestinian people why Hamas is bad and why they have to do what they do, if this was any kind of like explanation to them, this would be in Arabic. Uh, it's in English. It's made exclusively for uh, for the Western world. It's made exclusively to be consumed by them. It's That is the function of Hasbara propaganda. And yeah, that's the, uh, that's the end of the video there. Um, as you can see, there's a lot of like propaganda. There's a lot of bullshit. There's a lot of fascist dog whistles. And I guess really the point of this whole video was to help you recognize Israeli propaganda. I uh, was to help you recognize the Hasbara that is presented to you both by the Israeli army as well as uh, politicians here in the so-called developed world. And uh, hopefully you learn something. Hopefully this helps you uh, cut through all this insufferable bullshit. Uh, thank you for listening. Um, tune in again next time. Thank you.